Okay, well, we are into our third week in the book of Galatians, the letter, the epistle of Galatians. So if you want to start finding that, we're going to finish up the first chapter today. We left off at, uh, we finished through verse 10. We're going to take verses 11 through 24 now uh, today. But I want to start off by uh, asking you to think about your testimony, your journey of faith, and how you would articulate that today. Like, think of, start to think of it in these terms. Like, you're sitting here right now, you are associating yourself with the Christian faith and belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But how can you sit here this morning with any confidence that you've been saved by the grace of God? Where do you find that confidence? If you, if you were asked, what is your testimony? Tell me why you know you're a Christian today. Where would you start with that explanation? How did you get here? I love to hear people's testimonies. I'm genuinely fascinated by them. I, I, I think that there are so many unique stories out there, and we're, we're all coming from different backgrounds and different circumstances and situations as, we were, as we've grown up in this life. And when you hear someone's testimony, it's a beautiful thing. It's, it's a fascinating thing. It's a very powerful thing. That's why it's so important for us as believers to share our testimonies with one another. I think sometimes that's our greatest argument for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, when we want to share our faith with other people, sharing how that truth has changed who you are, that's a really powerful thing and a great argument. It's inspiring. It's also very informative. Whenever I sit and listen to someone articulate their journey of faith, it can tell me a lot about what they believe the gospel is and how it works. So where would you start? It's a little different when you, when you think of someone critiquing or analyzing what you're saying about your journey of faith, but where would you start knowing that? I mean, stage fright aside, nerves aside, if you were just articulating why you believe, how you believe, if you were being drilled with these questions by someone, how would you articulate that? Many of your stories are so different. I mean, some of you, you grew up in the church, you come from a legacy of faith, you were nurtured by the church as you grew up, and that's why you're here today. That stuck. I lo that's my favorite testimony. That's the testimony I want my kids to have, that I find the most joy in hearing someone give that testimony. It's so powerful and meaningful that uh, someone can be brought up in the faith and, and have stability in the faith as, as a result of that, it's amazing. Others in here, though, you don't have that story at all. You didn't grow up in the church. Virtually no one in your family associates with the Christian faith whatsoever or, any, or, or on any functional level. You know, when I hear someone tell, uh, uh, give a testimony like that, they come from a background like that, that's the testimony I find most inspiring. It's most uh, hope-filled, right? That... that that God will save someone and change someone in that circumstances. It fills me with so much hope for, for others. So some of you in here, you can point to the exact date and time, and those are the testimonies I'm the most envious of. I wish I had a clear-cut testimony like that where, you know, you know exactly where you were and what you were doing when you were saved and when you became a Christian. And others, you're just not like that. Maybe you're more like myself. It's a little more convoluted. It's a, you know, it's difficult to explain or to put into words and map out on a timeline or something like that. But our testimonies are going to be all, all over the place, even though they have so many common ingredients in them. 
I bring this up today because today we're going to be studying the testimony of Paul. Here in Galatians, where we're studying in this, at the end of this first chapter, he's sharing a little bit about his testimony to the churches in Galatia whom he's writing this letter to. And the reason he's doing that is twofold. They need to hear Paul's testimony today for two reasons. One is so that they could appreciate and understand his apostolic authority, that he's a bona fide apostle of Jesus Christ. That's, a, that's one of the main reasons he's giving his testimony. The other reason he's giving his testimony in this portion of Galatians is so that they can understand how the gospel works, that it is salvation through grace alone. That is the, that is the reason he's writing this letter, because there was false teachers attacking both of those things. So I'm not going to focus so much on that first reason, though, today, for the sake of this sermon and how I crafted it. I'm going to focus on the, on the testimony of Paul and the reason that he wrote it in the sense that they needed to hear that so that they could see an example of how this uh, grace alone salvation worked, what it looks like, how extreme it is. That's why he's telling it to them. And again, those false teachers that have been traveling around in that group of churches in Galatia, they've been telling everybody there, hey, Paul's apostleship, it's not legitimate, you shouldn't listen to this guy. They've been saying, Paul's Gospel of grace, no, you need to add to the works of Jesus. Jesus is great, but you need to go a little step further beyond what Jesus did in order to have salvation. That's what the false teachers were teaching. That's what he's responding, responding to. That's why he's so fired up in this letter. He's mad. He's protective of the people of God, and he wants to instruct them, and he wants to counter that false teaching so they know the gospel of Jesus rightly. He's saying, hold up, hold up, wait a minute. Here's what I want you to know. Look at the first two verses we're going to cover, 11 and 12 of chapter 1. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that it was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a uh, revelation of Jesus Christ. He's starting out, I want to have you know something, brothers. This is a common phrase with any Pauline letter. His, this is Paul's way of saying, hey, let me tell you something. You know, somebody ever say, like, look at you and point at you and say something. Let me, let me tell you something. This is Paul's way of saying this. This is intense. I'm about to open up a can of truth on you guys, and I really want you to listen right now, brothers. Right? I mean, he's, he's still talking to them like family. He knows they're believers. They're just caught up in this false teaching. We can all get caught up in false teaching, right? We can all, you know, hear the gospel, believe, be Christians, and then learn bad things. That's why we need, rebu we need rebuke. We need corrected. And we need God's word to correct us. We need letters like this to be corrected. Like, eh, no one in this room is going to have perfect doctrine. You're never going to have perfect theology. I'm not going to be able to walk into heaven one day and say, nailed it, got it all right, didn't I? Now, we're all going to get there. We're all going to see how wrong we were on so many things. I, I don't doubt that whatsoever. But our best shot at having any consistency or unity in the Christian faith is the rebuke from letters like this, right? I want to take Paul's side on these arguments. So he's saying, hey, this gospel, this is of divine origin. This isn't something that any man came up with. Men would never come up with this because we, we want to be works-based. That's kind of how we think, right? Right? 
So men didn't come up with this. This is of divine origin. No one discipled me into believing this. No one taught me this. I didn't come up with this. I didn't author this. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ that was revealed to me by Jesus. I received, he said, I received this through a revelation of Jesus Christ. I know about Jesus straight from the source. That's what makes an apostle so unique. Remember, we we covered that, commissioned and taught by Jesus directly. And when you think of Paul's conversion, we're going to study a little bit about or reference Paul's conversion. He's going to talk about it a little bit. I'll remind you of a few facts regarding Paul's conversion. If you've ever studied Paul's conversion, you'll never forget it. It's one of those moments in Scripture, you're like, you read it one time, and it's so unique and so profound. It's like, wow! It's a, it's a unique testimony, um, but it's, it's such a profound and explicit example of what it really means when we say we are saved by grace. So, side note, every single one of us in here are saved in the same way that Paul is. Our stories are different. Our stories are unique. We all have different backgrounds and upbringings and scenarios, circumstances like that. But on a fundamental level, everyone who's saved is saved one way, and that is by grace. That it, on, a, on a fundamental la- level, salvation only happens one way. It's by grace. You're not saved one way, and someone else is saved a different way. Paul's not saved one way, and the rest of us are saved in a different way. We're all saved the same way, because there's only one gospel. This is what he's trying to teach. And whenever you see and understand just how Paul converted to Christianity, grace is so extreme in that scenario. It's so incredible. And when you think you were saved in the same way fundamentally as that, it's like, whoa, I guess I didn't realize how extreme grace is. I guess I didn't realize the magnitude of what it means. I didn't appreciate it as much as I should have. Just what it means that we are all saved by grace alone, through faith alone, by the works of Christ alone. In other words, here's what I'm trying to say. You need to study the conversion of Paul because when you understand how Paul got saved and became a Christian, you understand how you got saved and became a Christian. The details of the story are different, but fundamentally how it happened is exactly the same because there's only one gospel and there's only one way that we are saved. It's a gospel of grace. That's that's what we're getting into and that's what Paul is referencing and why he's referencing it because he doesn't want them to buy into this works-based salvation. He's saying, here, consider my life. Take a look at all the works in my life and here's what he's doing. Let's read 13 and 14. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing a Judaism beyond many of my own age, uh, many my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. He's saying, are you, are you having a hard time believing in a gospel of pure grace? Take note of exhibit A. My former life. Take a good hard look, Paul says, at everything I was doing leading up into the point in which I became a Christian. Pay attention to all of the works. What was I doing? I was persecuting the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. That's what he was doing with his time 
up until the point in which he was converted to Christianity. You can read about this in the book of Acts. The book of Acts chapter 8, just after Stephen was martyred and Paul was sitting uh, along there clapping and applauding uh, Stephen's death, it goes on to say that Paul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So he's saying, you, you think you got to get your act together to become a Christian? Here's what I was doing in my former life. I was hunting down Christians and persecuting them. I was going door to door trying to seek out anyone who was trying to hide their Christian faith. And as soon as I found out they were Christians, I would have them dragged st- straight to jail, actively persecuting them. He was, he was leading that charge. That's how extremely opposed Paul was to this gospel of grace. So if you're keeping score, here's what he was doing before he became a Christian. He wasn't being mentored by any Christian. He wasn't taught by any Christian. Why? Because he was persecuting those people. They were getting as far away from Paul as they possibly could. Anytime he came in contact with a Christian, he's dragging them to jail. He was actively persecuting Christians. That's what Paul was doing to be saved. None of the right things. What he was focusing his time on was advancing in Judaism. That's what was important to Paul. He he, uh, was was advancing beyond many people his age. He was becoming an expert. He was actually, he he learned under the teacher Gamaliel, if you've ever studied him, and, and, and one of the most famous Jewish teachers of that time. He knew his stuff. He was zealous for the traditions of his father. So with, re- with regard to being counseled by any man, all of the counsel he was receiving from men was fueling his hatred for this movement that was about Jesus. So he said, no, man didn't teach me this. All the things man was teaching me was the traditions of my fathers, and that caused me to persecute the church. So again, stop and think about that for a second. Can you imagine someone within earshot of the Apostle Paul saying, hey, if you want to be a Christian, you better be doing all the right things. You want God to love you and change you? You better get it together. You better show up. You better get it done. Or you're not going to have a chance. Can you imagine saying, someone saying that within earshot of Paul? You'd be like, what? what? Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did you just say? No. Like me, I was trying to burn down the church. That's what I was doing with my time at the point in which God saved me and made me a Christian. It's pure grace. Why was Paul saved? We should be asking that question whenever we read the story of Paul. Why was he saved? So your homework text. I like to give a homework passage. I got two of that I'm going to pass out to you today. Uh, This one is in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. Go read the first 19 verses of of Acts chapter 9, and you will read about this conversion of Paul that you'll never forget. You'll never forget it. He's on his way. This is how Paul got saved. He is literally on his way to persecute Christians. He's literally on his way to try to make their lives a living hell and drag them off to prison, have them killed. That's what he's doing with his time. And and on his way to do this, a post-ascension Jesus appears to him and reveals this truth to him, confronts him strikes him with blindness. Jesus makes him blind and then says, why are you persecuting me? And then the best part of the story is as Paul's 
on the ground, blind, and confused, disoriented, being confronted by Jesus, Jesus also appears to a Christian in Damascus where he was headed named Ananias. And he says to Ananias, hey, Paul's on his way here, and when he gets here, I want you to heal him and baptize him. Ananias is like, sure about that? We know all about Paul. He's the guy. We'd probably be way better off if he stayed blind so he couldn't find us. We're trying to hide from this guy. Are you really sure? Right? And that's, a, that's the best part of the whole story, right? And, and Jesus gives Ananias a very, very good reason as to why he wants him to heal Paul. Here's what he says. This is talking about Jesus, talking about Paul. He says to Ananias, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. He's a chosen instrument of mine. So Ananias says, okay. Paul shows up. Ananias is like, I'm going to heal you now. A reluctant Ananias says, I'm going to heal you now. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. You're saved. You're his. He chose you, so let's go baptize you. And, that's, and then we're going to get something to eat. I mean, that's literally how it goes down, right? That's how Paul became a Christian. That's the series of events. Like, so make sure you understand the answer to this question. What did Paul contribute to his salvation in the events we're told in Scripture? Nothing. He didn't contribute anything. I would have also accepted the answer, all the wrong stuff. Right? He contributed all the wrong things. He didn't contribute anything. Paul was saved by grace. It's the same way you and I were saved, fundamentally. It's the same way every Christian is saved because there's only one path to salvation. There's only one gospel. There's only one way this is done. And it's so interesting that, that Jesus describes Paul to Ananias as one that is a chosen instrument. That meant so much to Paul. Paul knew that's how he was described. We're not told the exact conversations that took place when Paul met up with Ananias, but I would just imagine that was part of the conversation. You're a chosen instrument. This is how it's going to go down now. Your life's different. Deal with it, Paul. I don't know what the conversation was like, but Paul really got wrapped up in that description of him. I'm a chosen instrument? Listen to verses 15 through 17. But when he who had set me apart before I was born... And who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Did you hear what that said? Paul says Jesus set him apart before he was born. And then called him by his grace. So in other words, Paul had a plan for Paul's life. And Jesus had a plan for Paul's life. And at some point in his life, Paul's plan collided with Jesus' plan. Which one's going to win out there? Well, it's Jesus. His much older plan, the plan that was in place before Paul was ever born, is the plan that wins when those two plans collide. That's how Paul understood it. That's how he explained it. That's where it all started for Paul. I was set apart. This is, this is a plan that was in place before I was born. 
I was going along with my plan. I had a great plan. I was executing my plan with excellence. I was doing a great job. I was doing better than all the other Jews. I was advancing past many of them. I was, I was fast-tracking through, through Judaism. I was doing great. And then, bam! Jesus' plan collided with my plan. And so my plans changed, not his. Having, having been radically changed and taught by Jesus, it's interesting, isn't it, that he says, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Paul's making it a point here, again, to say, like, I had this special, just like every apostle, I was commissioned and changed directly by Jesus and sent out by Jesus himself. He said, I didn't consult with anyone. I didn't go double-check this information or whatever with the other apostles. I went out and started preaching the gospel. He went to Arabia. And he could do that, and he could do that with confidence, because Jesus commissioned him to go do that. He went out to Arabia and, and preached there for, for several years. And so he got straight to work. He was persecuting the church one day, and then the next day, he's a Christian preaching the gospel. It's such an extreme story of grace, isn't it? Just like changed like that. Well, we're all changed just like that. He was changed completely and solely by a work of God. Well, we're all changed completely and solely by a work of God. There's only one gospel. So in Paul's situation, though, because his story is unique, he, did, he didn't interact with anyone. He eventually did, though. Uh, but not initially. Let's continue in 18 through 24. It says, Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. After three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas. That's Aramaic for Peter. I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, a.k.a. Peter, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, that's where he's from, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. So after three years of preaching the gospel, he eventually makes his way to go hang out with Peter. None of the other apostles are there. He only has contact with Peter. And oh, by the way, James, the brother of, of Jesus, he was there who's also an apostle. But even that time was only done in a 15-day window. It wasn't much time. But it was enough time to confirm and to be confirmed and affirmed by the other apostles that they had another bona fide apostle on their hands. And then he went on to... Cilicia, that's where Tarsus, you think of Saul of Tarsus, that, that's in Cilicia, that's where he's from. And he goes and does ministry there for several more years. We'll, 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 that's mentioned uh, in the next chapter. But Paul is pointing out these details to do something very specific. This is not man's gospel. This is a gospel of grace. That's God's gospel. No man changed me. No disciple changed me. Jesus changed me. And he's sharing this testimony to the churches of Galatia, Galatia, and by extension, you and I, by the way, so that we can understand the power of God's grace, so that we can understand and begin to at least comprehend on some level how extreme it is. If you believe that you're saved by works, you don't have a category to explain the Apostle Paul. He doesn't fit into that. 
If you believe that we have to add a work of salvation in order to be converted or changed or official, you don't have any explanation for the Apostle Paul because he was saved against all odds. He was saved out of nowhere. If you were hanging out with Paul before he was a Christian, he would have been the last guy that you would have figured would become a Christian, right? Nothing that you could say or do. You wouldn't even want to waste your breath around people like that. You ever find somebody that's just so hard-headed and so adamant about their position, whatever it's about, that you're like, I'm not even going to engage in this conversation. I'm not even going to, you know, uh, take part in this because there's just no way I'm changing that dude's mind. They're just so hard-headed. They don't listen to anybody. That was Paul. If we would have hung out with him before he was a Christian, it was like, no way. No way. It's the last guy that will be a part of this movement. But yet, he was changed by the grace of God. Honestly, I love that that's the gospel. I know that that raises a ton of other questions. It should, or you're not understanding it correctly. And the Bible is full of more answers to, to more of those questions that we'll inevitably have. But I'm glad that this is the gospel, that it's a gospel of grace, because now I can have hope for anyone. Because I don't know anybody as bad as Paul. I know a lot of just like raging atheists. I know a lot of them that are so obnoxious on Facebook and social media and stuff like that. And people that I'm just like, oh man, they're just so far gone. But because of the gospel of grace, I can have hope for them. I can actually engage with them in a meaningful way and in a hope-filled way because it's not my responsibility to change them. It's not my responsibility to save them. I just need to be true to, true to who, the, who Jesus is and who I am and, and interact with them. And, and I'm freed up to lose in those interactions. You know, you feel like you lose every time you engage people like that. But I'm freed up to do that. I can lose. That's fine. Because that's not how this works. I'm not trying to work them into salvation. And they can't work themselves into salvation. This is the work of God. And I have hope in that. And so I can freely share that and not be ashamed of that, not be intimidated by them. I don't have to give up on anybody. Because of the gospel of grace, I don't have to give up on anybody. I can have hope for every single one of them. But here's where I want you and I to really dwell upon this. I want you to see how this truth of grace should impact how you think and should change how you think about your salvation. You know, the gospel of grace it gives us assurance like we can't have in any other way. And that's important because you and I need assurance. You and I, you and I are going to go through good, season and good seasons of our Christian faith and bad seasons. You and I are going to have good weeks, bad weeks, good days, bad days. We're going to have those times in our life in which we think, hey, things are going great, and then we backslide, we relapse, we stumble. That's just how life works is that's reality right but because of this gospel of grace and how it's taught to us in scripture i can have just as much assurance and hope in the bad times than i can in the good times it evens the playing field there it, we think the same in either way if we find our identity in christ in the same way that paul does which we should because there's only one gospel we have a way to combat that doubt that plagues us in those bad seasons of life we have a way to combat it. We, if we articulate our identity in our, in our own minds even, we can have hope in those terrible seasons. Isn't that when you really just, you, you need to be nourished by that truth so much when you're in a bad season. You need it in the good seasons too because you probably have a lot of false confidence in your good works and your, your own holiness. But we need it in both of those seasons. 
to be reminded of just who God is and just who we are in relationship to him. So, so today, I want us to think about identifying as that. Chosen by God. Why are you a Christian today, Paul? Why are, you, why are you a Christian? Can you imagine asking him that if he was here today to interact with us? Ultimately, how did that happen, Paul? He would say, oh, well, let me just start right here. I was set apart before I was born and called by his grace. That's, that's the first thing. That, that's what I want you to know first. That's how Paul addressed Christians. That's how you and I should do it, too. Paul, wait a second. Is it, isn't it ultimately, I mean, you were trained by Gamaliel. You had some of this, so much of this background knowledge on, on the Jewish faith and the Old Testament and things like that. Isn't it because ultimately you knew more? Isn't, isn't it because you were mentored by the right people? Isn't it because you were a little wiser than the person next to you? Paul would say, no, none of those things are why I'm a Christian. I was doing all of the worst things possible. God saved me despite me. That's how he thought. That's how he articulated his faith. That's how you and I should think and how we should articulate our faith. Don't you want to be consistent with what the New Testament teaches? I mean, why do you think that in our culture today, and I'm just speaking to American culture because that's what I'm most familiar with, why is it so important that we emphasize our choice to love God and to live for God over and above God's choice to love and save us? You ever wonder that? You ever think about that question? Why do we over, why, why do we put so much emphasis on, on us choosing, make a decision, on that decisionism that exists in American Christian culture? Is that how you think about your faith? Like, I will say dwelling upon the fact that you made a choice to live for Jesus is a powerful thing, and it is a good thing to think about. If you're like, if you have thoughts of like, hey, I made a choice to live this way, and I'm going to stick to it, I respect that. I think there's power in that. I, I, I like that. You should be thinking that way, at least. But in the Bible, it says you need to go beyond that. There's more to it than just that. And if we begin to think about our salvation in the same terms in which Paul portrays it and explains his own salvation and the salvation of others, it begins to have a more profound impact on how functionally we believe and think. Right? Paul says you should be dwelling on the fact that God chose you Start there, and you're going to have so much more assurance in your life. You're going to have so much more confidence in who you are as a Christian. If you start there, start with God. What's your testimony? God, start with God, not with you. This is how the New Testament teaches us to think. Again, every Christian should think about their salvation in the same way. Think about the book of Ephesians. I, I want to I I give you three examples, just how, uh, another example, how, how, how Paul wants Christians to think. I want to give you an example of how Jesus teaches Christians to think. And I want to give you an example of how Peter teaches Christians to think in his letter. And I want to do that because those are the three people mentioned in this paragraph that we're studying in Galatians chapter 1. So Paul in Ephesians, he says it this way. This is when he's writing letter, other letters to Christians in Ephesus. He says, this is chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now listen. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. It's pretty clear there, doesn't he? 
Paul says, when he, when he tells his testimony, he talks about how he was set apart before he was born. When he writes letters to Christians, he talks about them as people who were chosen before the foundation of the world. That's how he teaches first century Christians how to think. And we want to think like them because Christianity hasn't changed. Here's an example of when Jesus does it. Now, if you've been coming to the journey for any length of time whatsoever, you know John chapter 6 is my favorite chapter of all time. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But Jesus says real plainly, real clearly, several different times. I'll give you one example in John chapter 6, verse 44. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Nobody can come to me unless the Father draws him. Nobody. What do you mean like, ooh, woos him, draws him in, sucks him in? That's a really strong word in the Greek, draw. You know when it talks about people being dragged into prison, like the, the passage I just read about Paul dragging people to prison? There's other times in which it, it's talked about how Paul was dragged to prison, and that's the same Greek word as draw. That same Greek word for draw is the same Greek word that's translated as dragged. So let me read it with another English word that this translates to. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me dragged him, and I will raise him up on the last day. You know, if you had to make a choice between those two English words for that one Greek word, dragged or draw, and you were trying to articulate Paul's conversion story, which word would you choose to best describe what happened to Paul? Would you choose the word draw? Was Paul drawn into conversion, or was he dragged into conversion? Well, he was on a horse, and struck with blindness and confronted by Jesus and dragged into Damascus. Like, yeah, I think I would go with dragged in that scenario. But let John chapter 6 just say what it says. Don't argue with Jesus. Right, here's, here's your other homework text. It's just one verse, and, I, and you can go argue with it. John chapter 6, verse 63. If you're really wanting to see just what Jesus means when he says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. If you want to see, what, what does Jesus mean when he says that? Go read John chapter 6 in the, in the same chapter, verse 63, and then try to determine how much help we are in that process. Even Peter does it, though. When Peter writes his epistles to the church, and you know, and, and like, First and Second Peter, he would write to, to several different churches. The churches in Galatia were one of the churches, one of the many churches that uh, his epistles were addressed to. And Paul calls, calls them, he addresses them in a specific way. You know what he calls those Christians? He refers to them as the elect, the chosen. Because Paul, just like Jesus, just like Paul, Peter, excuse me, Peter would also want his recipients to understand they are chosen people. And in and, and 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he goes on to flesh out what that means. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see how Peter, when he addresses Christians, he addresses them in exactly the same way that Paul describes his own conversion. They were all saved the same way. Same way you and I are saved. And we should all identify in the same way. 
the chosen. We're chosen. Do you like to think in those terms? Is that, is that scary? I think a lot of Christians that I talk to when I start to talk about the doctrine of election, uh, when we start to refer to ourselves as chosen people, a lot of Christians are uncomfortable with that. It, it's like, ah, oh, man, I know this language is all over the New Testament, but I'm just going to choose to not deal with it or explain it or understand it because uh, I, I just got so many more questions when I do that. Well, it's okay to have more questions. It's okay to not know all the answers, but we need to be thinking like the New Testament informs us to think. Do you not like to think of yourself as chosen? Why? Flesh out the answer to that. Why? Is it because you don't think you're worthy? I can't. I'm no better than anybody else. How could I be the chosen? That's the point. That's the point. You are unworthy. You aren't better than anyone else. That's the point. That's the value in identifying as the elect and identifying as one chosen by God because there is no other explanation. Isn't it, 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 wouldn't, it wouldn't it be scarier to you or uh, to, to think of, of you as someone who is just better than someone else? You think that's why you're in the kingdom of God? Because you're wiser, you're smarter, you figured out more, you have more value to God because of something about you? That's, that's a prideful way of thinking. This is how the gospel humbles us. It brings us down. We start to get cocky. We start to think about how we have it all together. Maybe you're coming out of a good season right now. Maybe, you know what, God feels really close and sin feels really far away right now for you. If you're there, I'm, I, much, I, I enjoy living in that season of life much better. But it's in those seasons of life that we start to think, God must love me because look. Look at, look at, what I'm, look at how I'm living. Good things must be happening in my life because of me. That's not how the New Testament wants us to think, and, and Paul rebukes the church with this identity. He's saying, this is how my conversion happened, this is how I am, who I am, and it's also how you are a believer too. It's how you are a Christian. It's all grace. So this is not an attack on free will, it's not an attack on your baptism, it's not an attack on, Christian, on your Christian lifestyle or daily choices. All of those things are very important, they're critical to our lives. I don't want to take away any of the value there. Those things are very, very important to us. But none of those things make any salvific sense unless they sit upon the foundation of grace. It's God first. It's God's work of grace first. That's the only explanation that makes any sense of our salvation in Christ. So that's what I want us to press into today because that's the only gospel there is. That's the only way anyone is saved. It's grace by faith and the works of Christ alone. And that's what this entire book is about. If you're like, if, is he going to beat this drum every week through Galatians? That's the drum beat. <laughs> that's what we're here to study. This is what Paul says. But don't take it from me. Read it for yourselves. Wrestle with the word of God. If you've got a hundred more questions when you think about that, you're thinking about it rightly. Because there's, it, there's, it's complex. It's profound. It's mind-blowing. It's beyond what we're capable to fully comprehend. But we have so many more answers to discover in this incredible book of the Bible. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much 
that we are chosen. We're so unworthy. Grace is the only explanation that makes any sense whatsoever. Or that you, before the foundation of the world, would choose a people for yourself and include me in that? Before I ever did anything or thought anything? I, that, that goes beyond ultimately what I can even think or comprehend. But Lord, I definitely see the value in it though. It humbles me, but it also strengthens me. It gives me assurance when everything in my life is pointing towards the other direction. And Lord, it humbles me when things in my life seem to be all put together. We thank you for this incredible gospel that keeps us leveled, but we thank you more so because it's the gospel that saves us from the wrath that we deserve. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we are thankful for these things. Mm -hmm.